Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Is rocking. It says all these things are going on, but he is sleeping. And he's sleeping not in a comfortable spot, right? The, the thing that he was laying his head on, some commentaries say, was like a sandbag. was like a ballast that was held for, you know, making the boat stable and stuff. So it wasn't a comfortable thing. But at this point in his ministry, he was exhausted. He had been ministering to crowds of people. He had had very little to eat. He had had very little rest. And so even big waves that were causing the boat to rock and coming in weren't enough to wake him up. So I don't know if any of us can relate to that. Maybe Ryan with a new baby, right? If baby doesn't sleep at night, then uh, you're, you're a pretty hard sleeper during the day because you're, you're looking for that rest that you can't get. Um, it's reasonable to think that the disciples would have been afraid at this point because now they've seen Jesus teach. They've seen him heal. They've even seen him cast out demons. But at this point, they've not seen him take authority over a natural cause, right? Like a storm. They've not seen that. So they wake him up to rescue, not to rescue them, but to invite him into their panic. Isn't that funny? We do that sometimes too. We, we want to wake Jesus up, right? We want him to rescue us, but we also want to invite him into our panic. But I would say, and I think most of us know this, that we live in an hour and a culture now where we have to be unbothered in the panic, right? Unbothered in the panic. So what does that look like? John Blue likes to say this a lot, and so I just want to say to you that an unbothered mom is a dead mom, right? And that that sounds a little bit quirky, like, wait, I'm sorry, what? An unbothered mom is a dead mom, and not just because she's dead tired, but because she is used to dying daily, right? She gets up every morning only to turn around and die, right? She nurses one while disciplining another. She deals with homework and carpool and practices. She plans elaborate birthday parties and most cook meals. Thank you, John Blue, that I don't have to do. I'm very grateful, right? Family, children are like, if I cook, they're like, oh, when's dad cooking again? Okay. So we should probably be celebrating you today, make our meals, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, So we have all these things that we're doing, right? Some of us work full time, so we're balancing motherhood and work, and we're still trying to be fun and spunky with our spouses while we're, you know, trying to to do that, but also potty training and driving tests. Oh my gosh, Hudson took his driving test this week, and I was so nervous. Like, oh my goodness, and he did it. Go ahead, Um, There are different uh, difficult things, right, that we face in our parenting with cancer and losing homes and maybe losing some loved ones to COVID and some some different hard things. Um, My one friend, we, we were at a prayer thing the other day, and she emptied out her bag. And in her bag, she had tahine, excuse me, tampons, and a Sharpie. This is what she had in her back. So may I suggest to you that you are dying daily if you have tahines and tampons in your um, back. Sorry, 
That just sounds like a good chapter to me. Anyway, um, I want to say also that dads carry a weight as well. These are the things and the ways that a mom dies, but a dad dies in ways too. And I think sometimes we spend so much time kind of bittering against one another, bickering against one another, because we think we should carry the same weights. And God has called us to carry different weights, right? They look different. They feel different. But together, you're working together to raise world leaders and life changers. And so the things that come into our path that we can't control, that becomes very bothersome to us. And so we start to argue with one another because the bothering takes up our time. It takes up our thoughts, right? And what we can't figure out and what we hold on to, then the enemy uses to like rattle our cages, right? He kind of gets all up in our grill. But the interesting thing is the more waves, what we found in our life is wave um, difficulty comes in waves, right? It's like one after the other. This happens and then this happens and then this happens. And just when you think you can't take one more, one more happens. They seem to come in waves. But no matter how many waves are coming into the boat in our story, Jesus still sleeps, right? There's still peace there. There's rest there. And so when he's awakened, he does three things. He gets up, he rebukes the wind, and he speaks to the waves. And then there's calm, right? He gets up, he rebukes the wind, and he speaks to the waves. And so God is calling us to do that. He's calling us to be awake and aware, right? We get up, we use our voices, we use our words to rebuke the situations that are coming against us that are not from God for us, right? And then we know that the calm is for a reason, because the calm and the storm are doing something to prepare us for what's next, because that's the cool thing about this story, is that God just didn't rebuke the storm and that was it. He rebuked it because he knew there was a greater mission. He said, we're going to get to the other side. So he knew something was waiting on the other side right? When he says, hey, let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the sea, he never anticipates not making it to the other side, right? When God says something, he's going to do that. So whatever happens between the boat and the other side, right? He's not bothered about that. He is unbothered about that because he has already declared we're going to get to the other side. And so I think that that's what he's saying to us too, that what we're bothered about, that what we're fearful about, that what we're wrestling with in our parenting, in our jobs, in our families, with our spouses, whatever that is, God is saying, we are going to get to the other side, right? You have a love so fierce inside of you. As a mama, there's a love so fierce that you are fighting to get to the hope that seems so elusive, right? We just, that sometimes your situation is just marked by this hopelessness, but no, God is saying, I see that and we're going to get to the other side. Because do you remember in chapter five, what was waiting for him when they got to the other side of the sea was a man who was wrestling with demons who was in need of freedom and healing. And Jesus knew that that was waiting for him. And so he went there. And so that's a question that I have for you is what is waiting on your other side? Who is on the other side of your obedience? Um, John and I did a marriage retreat um, recently in Austin, Texas at a church there with some friends of ours, which we were hoping to do here at some point, right? We're definitely due for a marriage and parenting thing, I think sometime in September, hopefully. But anyway, we were on our way back. We took different flights. <clears throat> 
John likes to travel without stops, but he likes to book our tickets with lots of stops. So, right, honey? I'm <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <clears throat> Not really. But anyway, um, we were in, I had missed my flight. My flight in Austin had been delayed, and I had missed my connection through Salt Lake. So um, I was about to go to CPK and get a little bit of a salad and um, do our Bible study. We were finished our Elijah study, study, so I was about to go do that when, when I saw Zane. This was a young man in his, I would say, mid-20s, and he was definitely um, flustered. He, he was mumbling to himself. The, all the monitors that kind of show your departures and arrivals, he was kind of going um, up and like kind of back in between them. He would go to one side and look and go to the other side and just kind of frantically look around. And so I just walked up to him. And I just said, hey, how are you? What's going on? How can I help you? And he turned around, and I could tell underneath his mask his face um, had been bloodied a bit. I could tell that he hadn't showered in a while. Uh, I could tell there was a little instability that was happening, um, especially when he asked me for a shotgun. He said, I'd like to have a shotgun um, so I can blow my brains out. And I said, gosh, you know what? I'm fresh out of shotguns today. But I think I can help you. So let's go find somebody who can help you. And he had a flight to Twin Falls that he had missed um, by about 15 minutes. And so I introduced him to the Delta agent. And I said, this is my new friend. And he needs some help. And I was so excited because there were two fatherly agents and a security guard who came over. Utah's known for um, its... Um, sober living and substance treatment, you know, communities and stuff. And so you could tell this wasn't the first time that maybe they dealt with a situation like this. But they came over and they didn't scold and they didn't scoff and they didn't, they didn't treat him with any sort of disrespect or disdain. They simply took him, took him to CPK, got him some pizza, called his mom, and they took care of the situation, right? But when I went over afterwards... Um, I just walked up and I said, hey, can I ask your name so I can continue to pray for you? He turned around and he looked and he said, I remember you. He was, you're the only person who came over and asked me to help me when everybody else will just walked by. Right. And I was just like, I just walked over to see if I could help. But that's what the storm does. When you walk through a storm, when you see God be faithful on your behalf, when you see him answer your midnight cries and those prayers, it does something to your soul. And then it strips away something that allows you to see somebody else who's in the same pain right? There's something on the other side of what you've been through. So sometimes you have to ask, is the thing that I'm hoping to see in this season connected to what my purpose is supposed to be in the next season, right? And is your breakthrough going to be a breakthrough for somebody else? Yeah? You guys okay? You staying in there? If we have a destination and the purpose on the other side, then we're unbothered by what's happening on this side, right? And we want to have a peace that carries us through that. So ask yourself, do I have a peace in the tremble? Because the world does not have a peace when the storm comes, right? It doesn't, but it's looking. They're looking to see if you do, right? Think about what we just walked through a couple years ago. 2020 was bothersome, was bothersome for a lot of people, but not for Jesus, 
It wasn't bothersome for him, right? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He sees everything. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's not surprised by any of those things. And he, I love this, that in this boat that he's in, he's not surprised by the storm because he knew that he was going to the cross, right? So the storm wasn't going to take him out. He wasn't going to drown in that because he knew that the cross was still waiting. And so we don't necessarily know specifically sometimes what's waiting for us or how we're going to die or what our mission is. So we think we're going to drown in that moment, right? But he knew he wasn't going to go out by drowning. He knew that that wasn't his thing, right? So some of us don't, we don't sleep, because we're so riddled with the fear and the anxiety and all of the things that we juggle. I really think that's something that a lot of us struggle with is just that not sleeping at night. And it's one thing if you have a new baby, it's another thing if you have 20-year-olds and you're still not sleeping at night. Maybe that's um, just me. Um, But I do know that the enemy wants us dull and weary and ineffective during the day. And so I believe that he comes to rob and steal our sleep at night right? And we, we start to ask God, like the same way that the disciples were like, don't you care that we might die? Don't you care that we might drown, right? And sometimes, especially when God's not vocal in our situation, we may think, how are you asleep when I'm struggling? How are you not here with me in the suffering? But he always is. He always is. Don't mistake his um, silence for his absence, right? He loves us so much, and he always has a plan. So don't believe the, God, the lie that God is not intentionally involved with what you're involved in. He is trustworthy. He is faithful, all of those things. So storms are opportunities for us to kill the fear and the doubt. Instead of us partnering with the fear and the doubt, it's an opportunity for us to kill it, right? Okay, so that is what that is what it looks like to be unbothered, right? Now, how do we do all of that, right? That's a big, long intro, and so how does that, how do we actually do that? I would like to say to you practically, one of the first ways is to manage expectations, and one of them has to do with things like Mother's Day and birthdays and Christmas morning. I, today, am going to have the most amazing day, because I have zero expectation of what today is gonna look like, right? It's gonna be amazing. I think as a young mom, there was a meme that was going around that a young mom is like, oh, I hope he brings me flowers and takes me to the perfect restaurant and cooks for the kids, it's gonna be amazing. And the older mom is like, I've booked my hotel and I'll see you on Sunday night, (laughs) you know, right? And so, but there is, there's something to managing the expectations. And it's not that you're lowering your bar to the point where you're just like, oh, I don't deserve anything. It's just that you're, you're, the idea that you've created in your imagination of what you think, how they're going to honor you, is never really going to measure it, right? It's not going to be equal to what is going to happen on Christmas morning. Oh, my goodness. Have you guys ever, like, planned out what you think Christmas morning should look like? And then it all just, like, this looks nuts. By noon, you're just like, what's happening right now? It's terrible. But anyway, the, um, the same thing happens, I think, too, with, like, um, with chores and stuff. I'm really bad at this around the house, right? Kiddos, they love that I'm bad at chores. John hates that I'm bad at that. But 
with garbage cans, dishes. Oh my gosh, the dishes in the sink, y'all. If I expect you to wash your dishes, we have 20-year-olds, if I expect you to wash your dishes and you don't wash your dishes, it makes me crazy. And so for years, I would just go into this like rage, right? Like I asked you to take out the trash cans, you didn't take out the trash cans. I'm just like rage-festing all over the place. And I have a friend one day who came to me and she said, you know, that's actually doesn't happen in our house because we very clearly articulate what's expected. And when they don't do it, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry that you made that choice. Here are the consequences, right? I'm like, oh, that's like, yes, that sounds like good parenting. That's it. rather than me rage festing all over each other. That sounds like good parenting, right? So we can be empowered by our rage response or we can trust the Holy Spirit in and be unbothered in those things, right? We like to say for a lot of years we overreacted about little things and big things. And so we like to think that instead of wildly overreacting, we wisely respond. We don't always wisely respond, but we are trying to do that more so than we used to, right? And making that clear, those of you with young kiddos, making that clear when the kids were little, we used to have... Um, list that we would put up in the house. We were like, these are our house rules. You guys remember these? These are our family values, and this is acceptable punishment. And we would all sit around the table and write those out so everybody felt a part of that. And for the acceptable punishment, it was like, kill him forever, put him in his room forever. You know, it was like, no, no, we're going to go with something a little bit, not as extreme. But they often were in our house a little bit like that. If, the, if it was punishment time, some of them would be like, um, you know, they'd be like, crucify him, crucify him, like what we talked about. And then we actually did one time have a situation with Hudson. I don't know if you remember this, but we had a situation where he was really in a lot of trouble and all the kids were in their rooms with the door closed while we were dealing with Hudson. And TJ opened his door from, do you guys see Braveheart? He, when at the end, when Mel gets it, he opened his door and he goes, mercy, mercy. <laughs> was the funniest thing ever. So, so sometimes they yell crucify him, sometimes they want mercy. But, but anyway, trying to respond and find ways that those expectations are doable, right? And don't leave us um, hanging like that. Because uh, John talks a lot about having a backward funnel view of life. And sometimes we, we get so wrapped up in only what we can see right here. But if you think about having like a backward funnel, I'm sorry, if I was really on it, I would have had slides and stuff, but it's still gonna happen. So anyway, but a backward funnel. So you look at that and you're like, where do we wanna be not just next week and next year, but where do we wanna be 20, 30 years from now? What do we want our kids to be like? And so how do we build a family and how do we build life together here that ensures here, right, that they're endeared to us. That was one of the things. We like, want them endeared to us, not embittered against us, right? Not mom's the root of all my therapy, which we know anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that's going to happen regardless. I apologize. But, um, but we want them to laugh and let loose with us. We want them to want to do life with us and not just be in the background of our lives. That was really important and really intentional especially when we were church planting. The kids were very young when we started church planting uh, 25 years ago or so. And we were, it was always really important to bring them in. So whatever you're doing as a family, bring them in and bring them a part of that, right? So that's managing our expectations. You guys doing okay? I'm not looking at the clock. So number two, um, setting apart 
setting apart, asking yourself, what are you connecting with? What is your sustenance? Is it what we talk about all the time, word, pray, and day? Are we in our words? Are we praying? Are we doing that on a daily basis? Are we looking for fellowship? Or are we doing some of the things that we sometimes do for a release, but then we begin to do them more than we should? Social media, Netflix, maybe bad food choices, maybe bad relationships, whatever it is, right? And sometimes we think if we stay busy enough and if we stay putting those things in, that we'll be okay, that we'll be good enough. But when we do all this out here, then it keeps us from looking at what's really happening inside. So we wanna be able to um, sometimes listen when the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm calling you to step out and away. So we've been doing this Elijah Bible study that's been so good, we finished last week. But one of the things that we have highlighted was this this moment where Elijah is standing on the mountaintop with all these people and some of them are fellow believers right and God calls him to step out from the crowd he calls him to take a step forward and sometimes I think especially right now in this culture we're going to have a moment where God calls us to step out from the norm he calls us to step out maybe even from some of our fellow believers right but we have have to know that God is setting something in place. He calls us to step out because he's setting something in place. And we have to know what God's doing and then know that he's for us before we can take a stand um, against what's against us, right? We have to understand that. And we have to understand really um, partnering with the Lord to see what the enemy is bringing in different seasons. I know I had one season where I was really wrestling with fear, and then I stepped out of that place, and it wasn't so much a wrestle with fear anymore, but now it was apathy. It was a complacency. So it's like, gosh, I'm still not doing what I was supposed to do here because of this reason, but now I'm in a new season and still not doing it because of a different reason. So taking a moment to step aside and get with the Lord and have that time of consecration really that time of holiness and kind of stepping back and into your word to see what is God putting his finger on that in this season needs to change. And so how you can live intentionally in that, right? I don't know how many of you saw um, King Richard. Did you see King Richard about... Um, the Dad of Venus and Serena Williams is a great movie. But, um, you know, he's very intentional from day one when the kids, when the girls are little. I only thought it was the two of them. I didn't know they had five. There's five kids total. I didn't know that, side note. But anyway, he's very intentional with the girls. And he had a plan that he was taking them on. And several people were confused and questioned his intentional plan because it didn't follow the circuit, the normal tennis circuit to become a pro, right? And so... Richard stepped out. He made a conscious choice to step out and follow a plan that was different when everybody expected, but he saw what was on the other side of that, right? He saw what was on the other side of that. So not only do we manage expectations, right? Not only do we have a setting apart, but we also ask hard questions. Sometimes we have to ask hard questions, and that's exactly what God did with Elijah. Let's talk about Elijah just a little bit more. This is right after the miracle experience where God, you know, Elijah calls down fire from God. God comes. He consumes the, the sacrifice. They see this huge miracle take place, and in the next frame, we see that the spirit of Jezebel comes and causes Elijah to run away and hide. 
right? And so how many times have we seen God move in miraculous, mighty ways for us in one season, only to turn around with this current storm that's knocking all the waves in the boat and causing us to hide? I will say this, that when he was hiding, he did, God did um, feed him um, and give him naps and meals. So I, I bless you with that today, right? There was, there was naps, and one version says cake, a nap and a cake. So I pray for a nap and a cake today. Um, but I thought this was so interesting. Um, one of the things that we read, um, it, 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 it alluded to just the threat just the threat of despair. One of the things in our Bible study said, instead of going to the trouble of killing him, Jezebel knew the threat of death would be worse punishment than death itself. And so I think sometimes the enemy comes and he's like, I actually don't really even have to have that thing happen that you're fearing so much. I just have to threaten you with it to get you to be incapacitated, to get you to be so worried that you're no longer pursuing the purpose because you're so worried about what's waiting on the other side. You may even have a hope of what's on the other side for you, but you're so worried about getting to the other side that you, the threat alone is keeping you in place and not stepping into what that is, right? And so we have to not just um, do that, but get past that. Because a lot of times what we do is we fixate on what we can't fix, but God has called us to fix our eyes on him, right? The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. And so instead of fixating on this thing that we can't control and this thing that we can't fix, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And questions are just a good way to reminding us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so one of the things that God does with Elijah is when he's hiding, he comes and he says, where are you, right? What are you doing here? And then we need people around us this is a way that we stay unbothered. How do we stay unbothered? We get people around us who ask us hard questions. We give them the freedom to say, ask me a hard question. Ask me what I'm doing in this season. Ask me why I'm still stuck in this place, right? God comes and he asks questions. He came to Cain in Genesis. Remember Cain and Abel? He came to Cain and he said, a question that I think is actually really good for our teens. He said, why are you furious and why do you look despondent, right? I think that's a good question for a teen. He comes to Jonah and he says, do you have good reason to be angry? I think that's a good one for our teenagers. Do you have good reason to be angry today? Are you just angry for the fun of it? But anyway, we need someone to come around us, right, who can see what we can't see and hear what we can't hear. And then when we understand the truth of what God's doing, then we understand his promises and what the word says about us, then we can step in and be proclaimers of that to someone else, right? We can understand that blessing and speak that blessing because God has called us to speak that over the people, over our spouses, over our children, over our coworkers, over our neighbors, right? And it matters. Our words matter. And it matters generationally. And I'm almost done, but I really, really feel very strongly about why it matters generationally. So let's jump into this and then we'll be finished. You guys okay? You still get lunch today? Everybody's all right? Everybody looks good? All pretty? Okay, here we go. Hebrews 11. So I want to say this. We, a few of us went... I don't know if everyone's here, but a few of us went to Faithful Central Bible Church in LA um, 
a couple weeks ago or last week, I forget. And um, Holly Wagner spoke a message about being together, about being unified and being together. And it was such a powerful message. Um, but, um, but I want to give you just a piece of, uh, at the end, we're going to do an illustration that, uh, that was just really powerful. So that, that is coming. Hang on to that. But Hebrews 11, um, in the message version, in verses 39 and 40, says, Get busy about your own faith. Live your life knowing there's a generation who is following. Live your life knowing there's a generation who's following you, that this is not just about your walk, right? And you think about a relay race, and you're running a relay race, right? The individual lap, as you may know, is not the important part of the relay race, but what is? That, the baton exchange. And our own American team knows that. I think it's twice now that they've dropped that, done incredible laps, and then dropped on the baton exchange. And so, so many times we live our lives just for our individual lap, and we forget about who's coming next. We forget about who's coming behind us. And we want to run this moment. We want to live this well. We also want to finish well, but we also want the person coming behind us to finish well, right? Because God's plan takes generations. And what he starts in one generation, he finishes in the next generation. So the next generation that's coming along doesn't have to see us doing everything perfectly, right? We're never going to do that. But they do need to see us finish. I think that's why it's so important to see us finish and why our words are important. And I will say this, there is great power in apology. We will not always do something perfectly, but there is great humility and reconciling that happens when we can humble ourselves enough to say, I just did not handle that well. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? So there is great, great in that. But um, a, a while back, I was having a conversation with Georgia and um, she's like, what are you going to say? Um, but anyway, I, it was an interesting thing. And, and God bless her, it was heartbreaking because, um, we, the, oh, the side note, the older kids are like, yes, now she's going to talk about Georgia and not us. That's amazing. But um, I was asking her, I, you know, there's so much that happened with COVID. Um, and, and I think just COVID in the classroom and everything that happened with that, that I don't really even think... Um, that the kiddos understood the level of disappointment that kind of came in and the things that were canceled on them and different things that were planned, like I think about school trips or birthday parties or family events, things that were, were supposed to happen that a, a young kid hopes in and then a lot of those things for safety reasons were canceled. And it was interesting because as things started to open up a little bit, I would say, hey, we're going on a trip to Tennessee to see grandma. Are you so excited? Did you tell your friends that we're gonna do that? And she would say, no, because it's probably just going to get canceled. So I'll call them when we're actually on the plane, right? When it actually really happens. And uh, we had another time where there was a soccer tournament. And I was like, yay, we get to play soccer again. Are you so excited? We're going to go do the soccer tournament. And she's like, no, not really. I'm not even going to think about it because it's probably going to get canceled, right? And just this whole, this whole idea, Ecclesiastes talks about King Solomon and how he had everything the world could give him, but he concluded that it was all a vain pursuit without a relationship with God. And so it's interesting that this generation, it's like they have everything at their fingertips that, that the world could give them. But at the end of the day, there has to be something there with a relationship with God, right? That brings meaning to, um, to what they were kind of walking in and, and, and this hopelessness that kind of creeped in. And I think it's in the story of Gideon where an entire generation died without faith. 
An entire generation died without any faith. And so it's our job, right, to take our word, to take this Bible and say, this is who you are, right? This is what the word says about you. This, it, it's not all hopeless. There, are, there is beauty out there. I remember being in prayer one morning and Trisha and I were talking about how beautiful things are outside and how God creates nature. And it's just like, get, get off your phone and get outside and look at what's out there, right? There's still hope. There's still beauty there. And it's our job to pour that back into them where the enemy would try and, and bring hopelessness to them, really. Because if you think about it, when Jesus is being tempted, and the enemy comes and he says, stand on this temple and see if you can throw yourself down off of it and see if the angels will catch you, right? Remember when he says that? And every time Jesus answers back with the word, he answers back with the word every time. That same enemy is after these kiddos. That same enemy says, stand up here and throw yourself down. You're, you're, so, you're feeling everything in the world around you and you just want to numb out. Here, do this. You feel nothing and you want to feel something? Here, do this, right? That's the real voice inside their heads. That's what they're listening to all day. And so someone has to come with a voice of truth because from beginning to end, this word is about reconciliation. And the devil knows that he will never again be reconciled back to the Lord. And so he does everything in his power to separate and isolate and cause heartbreak right? So I'm going to ask right now if um, they're going to be very unhappy with me, but if Grammy, Grammy, will you please come up? And McKenna, will you please come up? And um, Georgia absolutely refused. And since I already talked to her, I'm going to ask Cam. Is Cam still here? Oh, Cam, will you come up? Okay, so we're going to do something a little, a little fun. But it's our job to know who we are in Christ right? To wield our sword well, to fight the battles set before us. Okay, the order is important. Come here, my love. Come here, right here. Let's stand right there. Thank you. Right there, right there. Okay, so right here. Okay, ready? This is what we're going to do. I'm so excited. So here is the Bible. Now, many of you know Grammy is the matriarch in our family. She is a wonderful woman of faith. We love her so much. Happy Mother's Day to you. Um, so there, there will come a moment in life. So Grammy has had um, just a legacy of her faith, right, that she has poured into this family. And so there are moments when I forget my purpose. There are moments when I forget who I am. And so Grammy is one of those women who prays. She, if you don't know this, she prays just faithfully for every single one of you. But Grammy would take this word, right? This is what we do. We take this word, and she gives that to me, right? She comes around me, and she gives this to me, and she says, when you forget, this is who you are, right? This is who you are. When you forget your purpose, this is who you are, right? And then someday, there's going to be a day when McKenna forgets her value, right? She's going to forget how valuable she is. She's gonna, there's going to be a moment when there, she's going to experience betrayal. She's going to have a hard day, right? And so my job is to come around her with this word and to say, this tells us that when Jesus was betrayed, this is how he walked that out and how he was still faithful. And when we forget our value, this is where we find our value again, right? And then there's gonna, then there's sweet Cameron, right? So then there's gonna come a day when Cameron's gonna be like, 
I don't, I don't know who I am. I don't know my identity. My friends were mean to me today. What college am I supposed to go to? Who am I going to marry? All of these questions and wrestlings that she's going to have. And this generation comes along to the next generation and says, every question that you have and every uncertainty and every storm that swirls around you, this is how we're unbothered. The word is what we stand on, and this is how we are unbothered right? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for a generational transfer of what it looks like to stand on your word and to trust you, Father. I thank you for the unbothering that you are doing, that you are building in us, Father God, that when fear comes, Lord, that when uncertainty swirls around us, Father, the things that we can't control, Lord, I thank you for men and women who walk with us, who come around us, who help lay a foundation that you can build upon, Father. So I just thank you very specifically, Lord, just for any situation in the room today, Father, just where there's hopelessness, Lord, where there's um, just really a, a fatigue, Father, just... Um, trouble sleeping at night, wrestling around, trying to make sure that all the balls stay in the air and all the juggling that's happening to make sure they don't fall to the ground, Father. I just, I pray that you would come alongside, Lord. Oftentimes, I feel like you give me a picture of an oxen, of like a pair of oxen with a yoke across it, and, and you come alongside and you help shoulder the burden that we walk through. So, Father, I pray that you would do that now for the men and women in this room that are shouldering burdens, Lord. Your yoke is easy, your burden is light, your word says, Father. And I just thank you so much for the gift of mothering. I thank you for the gift of, of teaching and training and loving, Father God. I thank you for the fierceness of the fight that you have put within each one of us, Lord. And I thank you for the joy that it is to serve you in it. I pray that you would give us an awareness of how to love on people who don't know you and don't have that hope, Father. I pray a blessing over this time and over the rest of our day and the rest of our week. And thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Oh. <laughs> I, I think there, it's, this is so important to see. I'm telling you, with your families, with your children, with your, 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 this is what you need to see, the connectiveness of relationship. And they're not always blood family, but they're family. Yeah. yeah. And you need, we need people in our lives that will stand with us, that will walk with us so that we can walk in those storms. So look at this picture and let it be a picture of your life and of your children's lives. Let it just grab a hold of it and burn it into your mind because this is how God works. This is how God, God works. And, and I don't know if Julian in here right now. Um, here's, uh, I'll throw you under the bus like usual. Um, when, when she got pregnant, she didn't come talk to us. Right? <laughs> it's always the pastor's kids. Who are you guys kidding? Uh, we're, we're past that, you know, <laughs> mama. Um, in this order, if, if, if Juliana was here, she, she would stand right here. And she called Juliana, said that we need to talk. Because she knew we're crazy, 
and we would lose our minds, and she needed, to, she needed a place that was safe and someone who loved her could think in the moment, not someone who was irrational like us two. Although I was pretty good. You're a little wacky. Um, it's a mama. She was. I was the calm one. That's crazy because I'm not the calm one. But Juliana stepped in in this line in, in the moment and just took care of my daughter. And it meant the world to us. That's the way Jesus wants us to work. Not independent of ourselves, but together. With people that we love, people that we trust, that we walk. Come on, here we go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm yeah. And, and, and that unbotheredness or not being bothered is, part of it is knowing that I've got this around me to stand with me and I can get through anything. Now, I knew, we knew something was up. When her and Julie, I just knew in my soul, uh, when Juliana and McKenna came back in, the Holy Spirit had already prepared us. When I knew what was coming. And, and it was just, God, it was, there's such peace that it was going to be all right. There's a few other words in there, but there was a peace. That's just natural. We're just idiots. That's natural. Um, with, with all my kids, there, there are people that, that, that's with us. Many of them are you. I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. I mean, this woman with some of your kids, she loves your kids. Gosh, it, it just, that is, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. And that's how we walk through this thing, this unbothered. I, I want to pray for them and pray for you. We're going to receive communion. Um, and uh, grab, grab those cups. And, and in this time, as, as we, you know what, you guys can go you sit down, sorry. Yes, thank you. Love you. I know. Run them off the stage. Um, here, stay up here. As we receive communion, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you do it on, thank you, uh, on your own as they, as they sing this song. But here, here's what I would say. As they begin to sing the song, just look at your heart, examine your heart. What, what is bothering me? What is taking me out of what God has for me today. And then just lay it at the cross and receive the bread and the wine or the juice and just hand it to him. And, and maybe ask God, who is that you've called me to walk with that will, will stand beside me in this? And some of you, it's, you know, our spouses, our, our loved ones, but there, there are other people that God has called you to. We've had that little time of prayer during the song. Just stand up and worship and thank God. That on the night you were betrayed, you took the bread, broke it, and you said, do this in remembrance of me. And you took the wine that represented your blood. And you said, drink this in remembrance of me. Father, we come to you this morning. God, we don't want to be bothered. But God, we want to know that what you have on the other side is, is so incredible. That we can rest in your peace in the midst of the storm. Let us be connected by those you've called us to be connected to. And we thank you, Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name.